we're ready. Well, I appreciate the task of being able to keep everybody awake, and I really appreciate this young lady bringing this water up here, because if I do you see you sleeping, <laughs> I'm, I'm armed. So uh, we appreciate so much Mount Zion and Arabia Baptist for inviting us, and you know that New Testament Baptist Church's doors are always open to any of you who want to visit us in Florida. Uh, uh, we, we appreciate the fellowship, and we appreciate uh, loving each other through God. So uh, we, we appreciate all that, and we appreciate everything that you've done for us here, uh, providing us a comfortable place to, to sleep, and also uh, the wonderful food, but most of all the spiritual food that you've, uh, you've given us. We, we really have enjoyed all the messages so far. If you'd like to turn with me this morning to Matthew, the fifth chapter, and we've been having a Bible study every Sunday night. Uh, we do it through uh, Zoom and Facebook, and we're studying the, the Gospel of Matthew. And then it's been uh, real enlightening for us. It's a, I, I've really gotten a lot out of uh, all the great and wonderful comments that uh, people have been making during this study. and. And my eyes have been open on a lot of things. And we looked at some of this a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, there's so much there. And I prepared a message from a little bit of it. But it's out of Matthew, the fifth chapter. And if most of you remember, Matthew, the fifth chapter is when Jesus brought his disciples up onto the top of a mountain to teach them. Now, the world will tell you that. Oh, he, he taught a multitude of people that he stood there and he preached. But uh, it's very, very specific here that he, he brought his disciples. Right. Uh, and uh, I don't know if that means the 12 or there could have been more. It doesn't say apostles, it says disciples. But it, I like to say it was his church. It was his ecclesia that he brought up to teach them. And it's very important that we recognize this. This this is not a, a, something that he's teaching out to the world. He's teaching his followers, his disciples. So in Matthew, the fifth chapter, in the 27th verse, he brings up uh, probably a subject that, that probably seemed very strange maybe to the disciples there at this time. Because you have to remember these were Jewish men, and, and these were men... Uh, and could even been some women, I, I, I don't know, it, the Bible doesn't say, but these were followers, but these were Jewish people, and they had been taught all their life the customs and manners of the Jews. Uh, been taught the law, been taught by oral and expressed uh, tradition, uh, expressed means written, but also oral tradition, and, and been taught certain things, and Jesus starts out with his what we, what we refer to as Beatitudes, uh, you know, uh, blessed are they. And, and a lot of them were probably things that, that stunned his teachings. So he goes into the 27th verse here. He starts a subject that, uh, that some people really struggle with. Uh, and it may be because uh, they may look through this through the fleshly eyes and think of this as all fleshly. But as uh, Brother Lynn brought out in our study this is a spiritual teaching. This is, this is spiritual, and we need to look at it as spiritual. 27th verse, uh, Jesus talking here says, You have heard 
that it was said by them in old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. And we know that's one of the commandments. That's one of the Ten Commandments. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, then not the whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. And if, if, for it is profitable thee that if one of thy members should perish, then not all the whole body should be cast in hell. And it hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give him written divorcement. But I say unto you, Whosoever shall put his, away his wife, saving the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her, uh, her that it is divorced, committeth adultery. Now, I'll start by saying this. If this was a physical teaching. I think a lot of us would be missing eyes and a lot of us would be missing hands because not only is he saying not even committing that but just looking at a, another person and thinking and having a desire toward them that's a sin that that's something that's wrong but I truly believe this is spiritual and we won't turn there but uh I think it brings it out a little bit in John, the 8th chapter, when the Pharisees brought that woman in front of Jesus who had been caught in the very act of adultery. Now, per the law, she was guilty. She was guilty, and per the law, she was to be stoned and put to death. That's God's law. But Jesus did not condemn her. He did not condemn her. And he says the most beautiful words, he who was without sin, let them cast the first stone. Made that conviction in everybody's heart. So I, I don't believe Jesus is talking physical here. Now, should we commit adultery physically? No, we shouldn't go out on our wives or our spouses. Yes, we all know that and understand that. But this is a spiritual teaching. And what is he spiritually talking about here? What is he spiritually getting at here? If you would, with me, turn to the book of uh, the prophet of Hosea in the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets toward the end of the Old Testament. Uh, and, and it's kind of, uh, sometimes it's hard to find. It's before Amos, the book of Amos, uh, right after the book of Daniel. And, and we're not going to read this whole chapters, but I, I want to tell of the story of the prophet of Hosea. Because some of us may not be very familiar with the prophet. But in the first, uh, in the first chapter, and we'll start here in the uh, uh, first verse, it says that the word of the Lord came unto Hosea, the son of uh, and excuse me, I will not pronounce these names right. Uh, Bari, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, as has in Ezekiel, the king of Judah. And in those days, Jeroboam, the son of Josh, 
Joash, the king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said unto Hosea, Go take thee unto thee a wife of whoredoms, and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredoms, departing from the Lord. So he went and he took Gomer, the, the daughter of Dibliam, which conceived and bare him a son. So here the Lord tells Hosea, I want you to go down, and I want you to go into the place and find this promiscuous woman. Maybe she was a prostitute. I don't know. It uses the word whoredom here. Promiscuous woman. I want you to go down and I, you find one of these women. I want you to marry. And he went down and he found this woman, Gomer. And, and I think Hosea fell in love with Gomer. He fell deeply in love with Gomer. And she bare him three children. And you can read more here if you'd like to later. Bear him three children. And the Lord told him what to name each one of these children. So it went on. And after the third child was born, Gomer went back to her promiscuous ways. She went out and went out on Hosea. Went out and slept with other men or, or had relationships with other men and, and, and committed adultery. And, and I can imagine the, the, the heartache that Hosea must have had, the betrayal he probably felt in this because I, he truly loved Gomer. And in the third chapter, God tells Hosea, you go back and you go get, you'll go get Gomer. You go find her and bring her back, which he did. He had to buy her out of servitude, I believe, it talks about there. But this whole act, this whole reason why this was done, why God did this, was to show the prophet of Hosea how God felt. Israel had went after other gods and worshipped other religions constantly. And God felt like this was an act of betrayal of him, that Israel was committing adultery. So this is why God chose this path for Hosea. He wanted them to understand, he wanted Hosea to understand how he felt, how he felt betrayed when every time Israel went and chased after other gods, after other religions and committed adultery. And how God was angry with Israel. I'm going to divorce you. I'm going to get rid of you. And after a while, God would, I still love Israel and would bring Israel back to him. So this, this is what I'm getting at with, we see the physical act that happened between Jose and Gomer, but there was a spiritual application to that. And this is what Jesus is talking about in the fifth chapter of Matthew. 
that his bride, his called out assembly, is not to chase after other religions, after other adultery. Now, Jesus warned us stiffly on that. He, he, he warned us uh, quite plainly on that, that it was going to be out there. There was going to be some that would try to entice you away into believing false things, false gods, and following them. Jesus taught that. I think in, uh, later on there in... Uh, Matthew, the 7th chapter. We'll just turn there, if you would, real quick. Matthew 7th chapter. Right after this, still when he had them had up on the mount teaching them. He says in the 15th verse, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raving wolves. You should know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs or thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree, a good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into a fire. Wherefore, by their fruits, you should know them. Amen. Jesus warns us that they're, they're out there. They're out there, and they're going to look like sheep. They're going to look like they're one of us, that they understand the truth, that they're there to serve them, or serve Jesus Christ. But inwardly, they're not. And the time when the fruit comes in time, you will recognize that. You will recognize that. So Jesus is plainly talking about here, there is going to be some that try to corrupt you, that will try to make you commit adultery, spiritual adultery. Make you take you away and start worshiping false gods. And it's all through the New Testament, brothers and sisters, this teaching. Paul, we'll read where Paul writes about it. We'll read where Jude writes about it. Peter wrote about it. James wrote about it. John wrote about it. Everywhere we're warned about this. Everywhere we're warned about this. In James, the book of James, the fourth chapter. And I, I, I want to read this because I want to clearly make sure we understand that we're talking spiritual here. We're talking spiritual here. James, the fourth chapter. In the fourth verse, it says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, 
Know you not that the friendship of the world is an enemy with God? And whosoever will therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God? Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth that to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God, and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And draw near unto God, and he will draw near unto you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. These adulterers and adulteresses are spiritual. They're fleeing after the doctrines, customs, and traditions of this world. Just like Israel went into adultery of the things of this world, following these worldly gods. James is warning that this can still happen, that we need to keep our eyes out, that we need to draw closer to God. Look toward God. Look at God. And it's really that simple, brothers and sisters. Turn with me, if you would, to 2 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. 2 Corinthians 11th chapter. Paul here writing to the church of Corinth. warns him of this same, same type of thing. He says in the, in the third verse of the second chapter of Corinth, But I fear, lest by any means as a serpent beguiled Eve through her subduity, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. And Brother Ron, you've said it so many times, uh, starting this out, that Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's the simplicity of it all, brothers and sisters. We don't look toward ourselves. We don't look toward other people for our salvation. And that's what the world will tell you. That's what all these false gods that you need to rely on on something else. When Eve was tempted in the garden, what did, what did Satan say to her when she said, we're not allowed to eat of that tree? God said we shouldn't eat of it. And I'll turn there because I don't want to misquote it in Genesis the third chapter. In the fifth verse, God doth know that the day, that this is, let's start in the third. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it. There shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto her, Woman, you shall not die. For God doth know in the day that you that eat therefore, then your eyes shall be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. This fruit's going to make you wise, Eve. This fruit's going to make you a God. Mm -hmm. 
that you can rely on yourself and be sufficient in yourself. That same teaching is still out there today. And it has turned the hearts of many people. And I will say this, by God's will. And you may say, what do you mean? Why would God ever do that? Why would God ever turn somebody and make them go into darkness? If you lived in light all your life, could you ever really understand what light is? You couldn't. The only way to really truly understand light is to have a sense of what darkness is. Now I hope you, you think about that. Without darkness, you can't really understand what light is. Because that shows the contrast between the two. And it shows the beauty of what light is. God allows darkness because it illuminates how wonderful he is. And he will bring all the ones that he has called back to the light. But the darkness is also a teaching tool that God uses. When I was growing up, I did something bad. You always heard the saying, two rights don't, or two wrongs don't make a right. Well, when I did something bad, I was punished. I was hurt. That made me appreciate the good. It showed me that I needed to be corrected. And we are chastised, we were, were brought back. But God does allow that. God does allow it. But we read there in James, don't follow the world. Don't follow what the world will teach you. Because the world will definitely teach you about depending on yourself. That's right. About depending on your own self-righteousness. My grandmother, who I loved a lot, uh, my grandmother on my mom's side, and I don't think too many of you have ever met her. I know my dad has, but she would tell me all the time, well, I hope to get to heaven. I hope I've been good enough that I did enough good I can get there. And that would just confuse me every time my grandmother would say that. And I'd say, Grandma, it ain't about how good you are. Well, I know, but she was raised in that type of environment. That's what she believed. She had to depend on her own righteousness to get there. She didn't understand the simplicity that is in Christ, that we totally depend on his righteousness. We have faith in his righteousness. That we truly believe that Jesus Christ and him crucified, his blood that was shed covers all of our sins and our shortcomings. 
not only the ones that we have committed in the past, not only the ones that we may be committing now, but also the ones that we may commit in the future. They have all been covered by the blood of Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's the simplicity of it. If you hear people bring in other teachings, well, no, just like Brother Ron brought out, I believe in your message about there in Acts when the Pharisees saying, well, you need to be circumcised in order to be saved. That would have been, if people would have started falling, that committing adultery because then they were depending on their own righteousness. They would have been falling after other gods and that other god would be just like Eve. You eat of this and you'll be as a god. Turn with me to 1 John, the second chapter. First John, the second chapter. Look here at the 15th verse. John, writing here to the church at Ephesus, tells them, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not, not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but be that doeth the will of God abideth forever. What the world will tell you, what the world will teach you, is not what Jesus taught when he took the church up upon that mount. It's not what has been recorded to us in these 66 books. The world will tell you one thing, but we're not of this world. We're not of this world. And it has always been. Turn with me, Wood, to the book of Jude. It's right there before the book of Revelation. And I'm not going to tell you what chapter we're going to look at. But it says Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, we're all servants of Jesus Christ. We call him Lord. Lord means master. It means the one who has control of us. We are his servants. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. And we've talked a lot about called this morning. Being called, and that's definitely us. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. 
Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. Once again, I will say these wolves in sheep's clothing are ordained. Just like these were ordained. They are part of God's sovereign plan, which is perfect. But they are there. And we need to be aware of them. We have been warned of them. Jesus warns us of them. They are there. I will therefore put you into remembrance, though you once knew this, how the Lord, having saved people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not, and that the angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he reserved in everlasting chains into darkness and to the judgment of the great day, even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner giving themselves over to fortification after going after strange flesh and after set forth an example of suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also these 50 dreamers defiled the flesh, despised dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael... The archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses. Durst not bring him to him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. Amen. But these speak evil of those things, which they know not. But what they know naturally as brute beasts in those things, they corrupt themselves. They know naturally, like the men walking as trees, seeing men and thinking about men, how great men are. But he says, woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the era of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Cori. These are spots in their feast of charity when they, when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. <clears throat> Clouds they are without water, carried about with winds, trees, fruit, whether fruit twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out of their own shame. Wandering stars to whom reserved in blackness of darkness forever. And Enoch, also the seventh from Adam, prophesies of these, these sayings, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousand of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly 
among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed after their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against them, against him. Their judgment is coming to them. But one thing I think we can see that's common with all these people describing these wolves in sheep clothing is these men were about men and promoting man. That's what a wolf in sheep clothing will do. That's what the devil has always did. That's what he did with Eve. That's what he is doing today. But we will know them by their fruits. They are out there, brothers and sisters. And we need to be aware of them. And we do not need to commit fornication with them. And by the grace of God, we will not. I'll close with this. John, the 17th chapter. Jesus, before he was going to go to Mount Calvary, Gadatha, to be crucified, went into the garden of, I believe, Gethsemane, and he did nail down and he prayed to God. And I believe this is his prayer. Amen. And it's recorded for us. It says he prayed so hard it was like he sweat great drops of blood. And I believe this is that prayer. But he prayed for us. I said I was going to close with that, but I want to, I want to turn to Psalms 139. Because it just as I thought of this, Jesus kneeling down there and praying for us. And praying for us. And, and, and I, I, we look at, if we look each, at each other in the flesh, we see so much unworthiness and so much why would God ever send His Son to die for somebody like me? But Jesus loved us. He still loves us. And he has always loved us. Psalms 139, the 17th verse. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more than the number of the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. How precious is God's thoughts on us? And when Jesus prayed, he was praying the things that were precious for him. Very precious to him. If you could take each one of the precious thought he has for him, it's more than the sand that is here on this earth. And brothers and sisters, I live by a beach, and there's a lot of sand on the beach, but we're talking about all the sand on the earth. It's you can't count it. 
There's not a number that high. To think of his love that he has for us. Just like God's love for Israel and Jose's love for Gomer. Because every time Israel would go into adultery, God would end up forgiving them. Jesus, when he kneeled down to pray to God, the ninth verse of the 17th chapter, praying to his father, he says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. I'm no more in this world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through them, keep through thine own name those who have, thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. I want to stop there, because Brother Gene, you, you make this so plain. What was Jesus' desire here? That the Father keep them, guide them, direct them, but keep them, teach them, show them. If that was Jesus' desire, he prayed to Father, I guarantee that is going to be done. That is going to be done. While I was with them in the world, I have kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now I come, now come I to thee. These things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word. And the world hath hated them, because they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. And I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but thou shouldest keep them from the evil. From them, wolves in sheep clothing. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so I have also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified through the truth. Jesus prays for us. Jesus now is making intercession for us. These, the evil is out there, brothers and sisters. It is out there. But Jesus has prayed for us to keep us from that evil. Yeah, will some of it creep in sometimes? Yeah. But I guarantee you it's for a purpose. And he will keep us pure. We are his bride. We are his bride 
that is going to be pure on that wedding day. And we won't go into all the things about brides and weddings and because you may say, well, how could we be a bride if there's that and been a wedding? But you have to understand Jewish traditions and everything to understand that there's a betrothal period and all that. And that's what we're in right now. But we're still his bride. We do not want to commit adultery. We will not commit adultery because the power, the Holy Spirit lives, guides, and dwells in us and keeps us pure. And I thank God every day for that. And with that, I'll turn it over back to Brother Ron. Thank you.